Hi, this is Emily Saliers from Indigo Girls, and you're listening to Rainbow Country. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the persons appearing on the program. Today on Rainbow Country, queer activist and founder of the Black Eagle Kennel Club, Argo, joins me to talk about all things kink. That and more on episode 366, so stay tuned. The Gay Talk Radio right here on Rainbow Country. Hello, my name is Conchita. And I'm Barbecue. And my name is Hardcora. And we are the B-Girls. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. Well, hello and welcome to a brand new journey through Rainbow Country. As I like to call it, a little gay radio show working to give voice to the LGBT community and beyond. And as always, I am your tour guide through Rainbow Country. I'm producer and host, Mark Tara. By the way, Rainbow Country originates from CIUT-FM in Toronto and now proudly in syndication on 12 outlets across Canada from coast to coast to coast. The Yukon, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, the east coast of Canada in Newfoundland, Ontario, even down to Buffalo, New York, and online. Well, thanks to you tuning in, streaming, downloading, but ultimately listening. Together, we continue to build Rainbow Country into a nationally syndicated gay radio show, a number one LGBT podcast on Podomatic.com's Gay and Lesbian Chart, as well as being recognized as Canada's number one LGBT podcast on Feedspot.com. So today, we find out about the Black Eagle Kennel Club, one of the world's largest and most active groups that welcomes all pups and handlers, regardless of gender, sexuality, or experience level. Joining me in conversation is Argo, queer activist and founder of the Black Eagle Kennel Club, and he joins me to talk about all things kink. Plus an hour two, music from LGBT artists, independent artists, Voices that we've come to know and love in classic disco, classic 80s, classic house. And on this episode, I'm featuring some classic house, some queer electronic, and more. All that lies ahead as we start Journey 366 through Rainbow Country. And when I return, we talk about kink. Hi, everybody. This is Gino Vanelli. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. Argo, hi. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Mark. How are you? 
I am well. I'm well. Thanks for asking. I'm better now that I'm speaking to you to have your voice, to have your story be heard by the by the LGBT community and beyond. So thank you for this opportunity, especially to talk about kink, the kink community. I want to start here. Uh, kink. In 2023, in your opinion, what does kink mean in 2023? Well, it's interesting to me that um, that word has evolved quite a bit in the 20 plus years I've been in the community. Uh, Kink used to be uh, about sex that was sort of beyond what you would expect from two or three people to be doing together. Anything that involved role play being the predominant uh, factor, anything involving role play or... um, pain infliction, pain reception, um, things like uh, fetishizing certain outfits and certain characters and uh, that sort of thing. But today in 2023, it's so common for people to just um, adopt personas and play or have sex in that persona that that's not even really considered kinky anymore. Um You've got furries, you've got puppies, you've got uh, people who fetishize certain uniforms, you've got people who fetishize sports and characters. And um, that has become more and more mainstream. So, yes, that is kink, but it's not considered kinky, Mm. if you know what I mean. So kink fetish are these the same things just different words or or do they mean different things kink and fetish well fetish uh is an element of kink uh fetishization is when you gain sexual arousal from focusing on something specific that uh to the broader general public wouldn't necessarily be considered sexual like for example some people fetishize uh, nurses. Some people fetishize feet. Some people fetishize leather. Some fetishize rubber. Some fetishize cartoon characters. Um, that's an that's an element of kink. Kink is sort of the broader term that encompasses all of that. So the, the Black Eagle, a gay leather bar in, in Toronto, I believe it's part of a chain, is it not? Well, it's more of an affiliation than a chain. Mm. Uh, there are Black Eagles and Eagles um, all over the world, uh, predominantly North America. Um, I believe there's one in Amsterdam. Um, I'm not sure about other countries because I personally haven't been there. But from what I understand... Um, Eagle is just sort of synonymous with um, a leather bar. And I think that just a lot of a lot of uh, leather bar owners adopt that title just so people will know it's a leather bar without having to say, you know, hi, this is the Chicago leather bar. So the Black Eagle Kennel Club, this is uh, an, an event that you started, uh, I believe, back in 2008. Right. What, well, what is the Black Eagle Kennel Club? Okay. Well, the Black Eagle Kennel Club itself is um, is a community group. 
what started in 2008 were the pup nights at the Black Eagle. And uh, that started with myself and uh, a person that I was playing with at the time. His scene name is Dart or Sir Dart. And uh, we just started by doing the pup and handler thing at the Eagle in uh, October of 2008 after uh, what was then the uh, Church Street Fetish Fair. Because we had done a demonstration in uh, Barbara Hall Park that August, and we got such a positive response from it, we thought, hey, let's let's try doing an event like this at the Eagle. So it took a few months for Pup Night to start actually getting participation, because for the most part, the first couple of months, people just sort of looked at the two of us like, I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> it, it wasn't so much in, in the public eye back then. But after a few months, uh, we started getting more and more pups and handlers coming out. And eventually, uh, over the next couple of years, the group got so large that, uh, the, sorry, the attendance got so large that we created the group, the Black Eagle Kennel Club, of which I am the founder. And uh, we now have a membership in an online membership in excess of uh, four or 500 people. And we have two events every month at the Black Eagle Toronto. And typically, we bring out about 100 people every time, mostly pups, but a lot of observers, some handlers. And uh, I'm quite pleased that it's, 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 it's taken off the way it has. And this is this is known as as puppy play. This this has nothing to do with with the animals or anything. Um, no, 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 no. This, it's it's all it's all people. There's no the dogs are actual bio dogs are never involved. Right. And yeah, unless somebody brings a service dog, and then that dog just sort of sits there and watches. So and is very confused. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about puppy play. What is what is puppy play? Puppy play, um, essentially, um, is where you either have a human pet that acts and sometimes dresses like a puppy, or you are the human pet who acts or dresses like a puppy. It's, it's, it's very broad in scope. Uh, there isn't any particular... Uh, preferred role. There isn't any particular preferred way to be a puppy. Uh, some people have sexual relationships with their uh, their um, puppies. Some don't. Some uh, groups have a handler and a puppy, and some groups don't have a handler. They just have an alpha pup, a beta pup, and, and so on, and they have their own little packs of people. And it, it's basically uh, a very physical form of play, um, puppies tend to wrestle a lot and sniff and hump. And, you know, it's, it's a lot like bringing your dog to a dog park, but the dog is a person usually wearing a dog mask. And this has been around for, for how long do you think like this sort of, uh, I've organized, Event like you started this in in two thousand and eight, but before that, yes. like, does it go back before that? Oh, it goes back much farther. I know people uh, who I've met people who have been pups for thirty, forty years. Okay, this is something again. It's it's been around for a long time, just like leather, just like any other kinky thing. But 
uh, it took a while for people to be brave enough to bring it out in the open. Uh, people are becoming, at least in Canada, are becoming more open-minded about role play and sex and, and kinky play in general. So th the movement has been gaining a lot of steam. In the last, I would say in the last seven or eight years especially, the number of pups has grown exponentially out in the public eye. Now, again, it's, it's hard to know how many pups there were 30 years ago, but you can buy pup hoods on Amazon now. You can, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of pup groups all around the world. There are puppy contests all around the world. It's, it's become quite a phenomenon. And, and I think the reason is that it's very accessible. There aren't a lot of rules beyond safety rules and there aren't a lot of protocols and people genuinely have a lot of fun with it. So what tends to happen at these events that happens um, twice a month at the Black Eagle, these uh, at the, the Black Eagle Kennel Club? How if, if a person comes in there and they're new to this, what might they see? Well, it depends on which of the two events they go to. We have two distinct events. One is called the Pup Romp. Uh, the Pup Romp is basically a social gathering for pups. You'll see uh, the back half of the eagle completely covered in wrestling mats. And there will be anywhere from 30 to 80 people in various states of nudity, some completely nude, some not, uh, wearing pup hoods and sniffing each other and hugging each other and climbing all over each other and uh, basically being their dog selves. Now, that one is very PG. I mean, we do allow nudity. But the other event uh, is called Bad Dog. And Bad Dog is very different. Bad Dog is a puppy sex party. That's where um, most of the pups will be nude except for their hoods. There will be uh, oral penetration. There will be anal penetration. There will be vaginal penetration in full view, like right there on the floor of the Black Eagle so everyone everyone can see. Uh, it's, it's actually becoming more popular than the Pup Rump event uh, because, it, for one thing, it's more fun, I think. Because you're not restricted. I mean, if you if you're playing with a puppy and you realize that you're both into each other, then you can carry it even further. Plus, uh, the fact that you're wearing a mask gives you a certain level of anonymity, and with that, you get a certain level of freedom. And there are security people, usually myself and uh, three or four other people, making sure that everybody is safe, making sure that nobody does anything outside of consent and uh, anybody who isn't supposed to be back there or who doesn't understand the rules, we either explain the rules to them and hope that they uh, abide by them. And the minute that it looks like they're not going to abide by them, we escort them out. So people feel very safe and they feel very comfortable expressing themselves basically as unrestrained animals. And who are the people that attend these events? They're obviously members of 
the Black Eagle Kennel Club. But is that strictly who attends, or or can anyone who comes into the Black Eagle on that specific night? Well, partake. We or actually something? most of the people there are members of the Kennel Club. Okay. However, we will allow anyone as long as they read the rules. They sign a document acknowledging that they've read the rules and they understand the rules, and then they obey the rules. We have pups coming in from, uh, often coming in from London, Ontario, from Ottawa, from Barrie, Buffalo, very frequently from Montreal. Uh, we've had a few from Kingston and Belleville. It's it's quite a draw because. We've earned a reputation over the past 15 years of being a good event, which is something I'm rather proud of. And people feel very, very safe. And I've had female and uh, trans pops tell me it's one of the few kink events they will go to because they feel safe and they feel included. And we've worked very, very hard to make it inclusive and to make it safe. So you started the Black Eagle Kennel Club, I believe, in, in 2008. Why, and uh, you touched on this earlier, but why did you start it? Well, to be honest with you, in the beginning, it was just for fun. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think too much beyond what was going on at the time. I mean, back in 2008... As I said, for the first couple of months, it was just myself and Dart. And then bit by bit, a few more pups started showing up. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, okay, we've got five or six pups here, but, you know, is this enough for the bar to be happy? But the the owner of the Eagle, Carlos, was incredibly supportive and incredibly encouraging. And he said, be patient, be patient. Let it, let it go. Let it keep growing. And as people see you're having fun, they'll want to join in. And that's exactly what happened. And it just became so large so quickly that I felt, you know, we'd better get organized. So I created the group and we have a website and we have uh, groups on Facebook and groups on uh, Telegram. And I just felt it was a good way for other people with similar interests to be able to meet each other, to connect, to exchange ideas and you know, to set up play dates, and it became a, a huge social mode, a huge social organization. Beyond just events at the Eagle, we also have done things like we've all gotten together to have dinner in a restaurant with our pup hoods on. We've all gotten together to get ice cream with the pup hoods on. Uh, there were some pups who were into that Pokemon Go game, and they they all went on a Pokemon hunt with their with their hoods on. It was hilarious. There was like thirty. 30 people with pup hoods on you know, wandering around the neighborhood trying to catch Pokemon. It was hilarious. But it, again, it, it was a social movement mm-hmm. and it, it brought a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't publicly express their kinks and people who otherwise would be afraid to go to the Eagle. It got them out and it got them meeting new people. And a lot of people have formed relationships and friendships from being involved with the Kennel Club and the Kennel Club itself has also helped other groups. We helped design uh, the UK puppy contest. We helped uh, the Montreal group with their puppy contest. We helped set up events in Ottawa. Uh, We freely give out our information to any pup club across 
the world that asks for it because we want everyone to have what we have. And it's, it's been, it's been wonderful. And the, the reputation our club has earned, like I travel a fair bit at us events, or at least I used to. And when people found out who I was, all of a sudden, you know, I had all of these puppies and, and puppy handlers coming up to me and saying, well, well, how do you guys do this? How do you guys do that? We've heard so many good things about your group and blah, 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 blah. When are your events? So it started out sort of out of necessity just to keep things organized. And it grew into something much, much more, again, which after 15 years, uh, I'm quite proud of and very, very happy that things have gotten to the point where they are. So we're in 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, you started this in, in 2008. And uh, something happened uh, a few years ago that I never thought would happen. A global pandemic, COVID-19. Talk mm-hmm. to me about the effect of a global pandemic on something so social, so in-person. And have you guys fully recovered from the pandemic as of yet? Well, let me speak first from a personal standpoint. For me, it was devastating because over the number of years with all of my community work, for the first time in my life, I couldn't do anything. And even worse, I had no idea when I would be able to do anything. So it it was a great source of stress for me and anxiety because I was so worried about how something I spent so long building might fall apart. And what happened with the pups is we maintained our online presence and we encouraged people to stay in touch. And a lot of the pups uh, sparked their own telegram groups. They sparked their own uh, online groups and streaming groups and that sort of thing. And so it sort of kept the sense of community alive. But again, that did drag on for quite some time. And even when the limits on uh, crowd sizes were lifted, we still held off because the last thing I wanted was for people to show up at a pup event and then find out someone there had COVID. So all of a sudden this group is a place where you can get COVID. And I did not want that to happen. So we were slower to start up and I was terrified that people wouldn't come back. I really was. But fortunately, uh, as soon as we started up again, it came back. I mean, it wasn't a hundred percent at the beginning. I would say it was about 70%. But as, as the months grew, uh, sorry, as the months passed, the, the crowd got right back to where it was. And now it's actually larger because there was such an online presence and people getting very excited about wanting to try it that now we have a lot of new faces and the groups are, it's actually spawned. There's another group in Toronto now called uh, Pals, I think, Pups and Little Social. And we haven't really had any issues with it since. The uh, we also went way out of our way to be safe. I mean, we we usually before COVID had a bag full of dog toys that we would throw on the mat and let people play with them. Well, those those are gone because we don't want anybody putting anything in their mouth and then giving it to someone else. And up until very recently, 
we were checking everybody's temperature as they came in and signed up to play, because if anyone had a fever, they weren't allowed to play. We, we just wanted to be as safe as possible. Uh, again, I mean, we built a reputation on safety and we wanted to make sure that people knew that we were serious about it. But happily, in a way, COVID sort of helped us because it showed people by them missing what they had, it showed them how good it was. Mm. And they not only came back, they brought their friends. Mm. So yeah, things are great right now. I'm, I'm very, very, very happy with the way things are right now. So things are great right now, but yet you have decided to to step away to retire? Yeah, well, why, there's why? a bunch Well, there, there's a bunch of factors involved in that. Uh over the course of COVID, I lost my mother, and then I lost two aunts and three uncles mm. and a friend. And then in December, I lost my father. And I realized that I had been spending so much time doing things for other people that I wasn't taking care of myself. Uh, I was, I was aside from the pup events, I was also uh, running a kink 101 event at the black Eagle. And I came to the realization that this year, 2023 marked 15 years of pup events at the Eagle the end of 20 years of community service because I was Mr. Leather Toronto in 2003 and I never stopped doing community stuff. And also in September, I turned 60. And I, I came to the realization that I had always been on my mom and dad's case, go out and have fun. I don't want your money. Just go do things, have fun, enjoy your life. And they didn't. And I didn't want to repeat that mistake. I wanted to be able to go out and do things while I still was happy and healthy. And I have a wonderful husband. And I, and I felt it was time for me to have my life all to me. And I mean, I'm not going to completely abandon community events, but I don't want to be responsible for them anymore. I've spent 15 years, as far as the public community goes, I spent 15 years building something of which I'm very proud of. And I had to come to the realization that one person cannot be responsible for an entire community. I had to let go of the reality that it may stop after I stop running it. It may, it may not. I'm hoping that people appreciate it enough that they will keep it going. And right now I have every indication to believe that it will. I've been teaching three wonderful younger people with fresh ideas and fresh perspectives to take over because, I mean, the community, there's, there's an old uh, indigenous saying that you don't inherit the world from your parents, you borrow it from your children. And I think it's time for the younger people to put their spin on it. And the only thing I really want them to do is make sure that things stay safe, make sure that things stay accessible. But beyond that, whatever they choose to do with the community, it's up to them because frankly, it's their community now. You know, uh, my, my time, I'm not going to say it's completely passed, but I've made my contribution. I'm comfortable with that. And I think it's time for other people to feel like 
they have a chance to steer the ship. So you'll be stepping away uh, officially, but do you think you will attend as uh, a participant? Very likely, yeah. At least this time I won't be expected. Uh, There's a big difference. One of the things you learn, um, one of the things you learn very quickly when you become a public figure is that going out because people are expecting you there sucks a lot of the fun out of it. So as of um, September 1st, my my step-down date is uh, the end of August, I can go when I feel like going. I can leave when I feel like leaving. I can have fun and not worry about what's happening because it's other people who are going to be worrying about it. Now, obviously, I, I'm, I'm too much of a dad to uh, completely disengage and to not you know, help out if I'm needed to help out. But at least the expectation is gone and there's more freedom associated with that. And again, if after 15 years, people don't value the community they have and they don't value the organization that they have, well, that's their choice. And I have to be okay with that. Uh, otherwise, you know, I'll be like some old guy in a, in a, in a chair with a cane, you know, telling the bad pups to get off my lawn and I don't want to do that I want I want them to make it their own because it is theirs and on that note we'll return right after this rainbow country update hi I'm Paul Poirier Canadian champion in ice dance and three-time Olympian and you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Terra. If you are in the Toronto area, Thursday, August 31st, the streaming service Mubi presents the Canadian premiere of the award-winning audacious queer dark comedy Rotting in the Sun. Check out the trailer. If you're doomed to live in torment, nothing can keep you from it. That is your fate. Ahora, si me permites, acabo de llegar de Cicatela. Yo creo que igual y te hace falta. Cicatela. Hi, Jordan Firstman. Like, I watched your movie last night. I watched Crystal Fairy and the Magic Cactus last night. Michael, Sarah, Gabby, Hoffman, like, I watched it. Follow me on Instagram, right? I don't even know you. Inspire impersonation. You're the right person to work on the show with me. Think of it like curb your enthusiasm, but positive. Senora, I'm looking for uh, mi amigo, Sebastian. Where the fuck is this bitch? I just found his phone. Oh my god, weird. Tell me where Sebastian is. I know you know where he is. Dime donde esta Sebastian, sé que sabes donde esta. Sebastian, if you're watching, come the fuck home. 
Haz lo tuyo mejor, eso. Yo lo único que quiero es que todo esto se resuelva así. Why are you like me? Tell Sebastian that I am his worst nightmare and that nobody ghosts Jordan Firstman. Movie presents the Canadian premiere of the award-winning dark queer comedy Rotting in the Sun, followed by a virtual Q&A with the film's director, Sebastian Silva. This is happening Thursday, August 31st at Toronto's Paradise Theatre. For more information, check out the website paradiseonblore.com slash calendar. And look for Rotting in the Sun. Hi, I'm Eric Radford, Olympic and world champion figure skater, pianist and composer, and you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Terra. So Argo, you you are someone who is multifaceted. You are a creator. You created the the Black Eagle uh, Kennel Club. You are also a community activist. You started this this event back in in 2008. Mm-hmm. You were just saying that in two, I believe 2003 you were Mr. Leather Toronto. Yes. Uh, y- you've seen the the community the lgbt community the gay village evolve and change how, in your opinion how has the community how has toronto's gay village evolved in 2023 what are you seeing and does anything that you see concern you well does it does it concern me? Does it concern you that there are no uh, women's spaces? There are no lesbian bars. I remember once upon a time there was the Rose. I believe it was on Hayden yeah, there Street. There was the Rose. There was Pope there Joan was on Parliament yeah. Street. Yeah. The, these these spaces there was, are. There was another great. Yeah, there was another great place at the corner of uh, Carlton and uh, Church, whose name I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I mean. What's happened in the last 20 years that I find most notably is, well, to be blunt, the people don't really have each other's backs anymore. Back in the day, I mean, obviously I was in the community before 2003. I mean, I've, I've been in the queer community since I was in my 20s. So this is this is going back in the late 1980s, early 1990s. Back then, we had far fewer rights. We couldn't get married. We could still legally be discriminated against. Uh, a fag getting beaten up in the village was really no concern to the police. In fact, sometimes it was the police doing it. And because there was this external threat most of the community had to watch out for one each other for 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 one another we would bond we would bound we're bound together because we were all being persecuted and as time moved on i mean there was also the whole hiv aids thing we and and 
we learned very quickly that we had to take care of ourselves because other people weren't concerned about taking care of us. So as time moved on and HIV became a manageable condition and all of a sudden we had civil rights, we had equal marriage rights, we had anti-discrimination laws and that sort of thing, there was no longer any need to take care of one another. So I think that's when the community started segregating. I mean, you had uh, gay white men who were sort of at the top of the food chain just because, A, they were white men, and if in many cases they could pass as being heterosexual and therefore uh, there was no reason to be discriminated against all the way to, um, you know, trans non-binary people of color who were still targets, but the people who weren't being picked on anymore didn't really seem to care as much. I mean, it wasn't really until I think the whole Black Lives Matter movement came along that people remembered, hey, you know, we're not all in the clear yet. And we do need to watch out for each other. We do need to take care of each other, even though some of us have it better than others, and especially because some of us have it better than others. Uh, those with privilege should be speaking up for those who lack it. And in some cases that happens, but in too many cases, that's still not happening. And because we don't have a unifying threat anymore, you see that the community is sort of migrating out of the village. We don't need uh, a fortress of, you know, a fortress of queer, and you've got events and, and clubs and social groups going to the East End and the West End and people doing queer events in what were traditionally straight spaces. And, and I think that part is good, but to a certain extent, it's also sort of diluting the whole identity of the queer community because it's, I guess, I don't know if gentrification is the right word, but I mean, to be a gay, to be a gay white man in Toronto right now is about as consequential as being an accountant in Toronto. Nobody cares. But there's still people who are treated quite poorly because of their their gender identity, because of their sexual preference, because of their racial characteristics. And unfortunately, uh, aside from, you know, a handful of people who are willing to stick around and fight on behalf of other people, most people have just sort of said, well, you know what, I got mine, I'm good. And I find that sad. What are your thoughts on on the recent, over the last handful of years, the recent rise on, you know, LGBT, uh, the LGBT community being a target once again for, for you know, for discrimination, for hate, for, yeah. uh, you know, white supremacists targeting of all things like uh, you know, like drag shows and yeah, all this sort of stuff. What are your thoughts on on why you think this may be happening today in twenty twenty three? I see it a lot more in the states than I see it here, mm. but it is also happening here. Mm. Um, Flag I think- raising the fact that there was an area in in the in the GTA, the Greater Toronto area, a school board. Not, yeah, the Catholic school board. Not wanting to raise the, yeah. the rainbow flag, as an example. Well, I think this is something that 
um, I have seen before. And there's that saying that people who are ignorant of history are doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. Whenever people in general feel like they're, they feel like they're being dumped on. They feel like they're uh, not getting what they quote unquote deserve. The easiest way to deal with that for a lot of people is to find a vulnerable minority and scapegoat them. It's their fault. They're the reason. Uh, let's let's attack them because if we assert ourselves above them, then we can feel better about ourselves. And I think this is sort of um, the result of a broader social uh, situation where people can't afford housing, people can't afford cars, people can't afford luxuries anymore. Um, jobs are harder to find. Uh, rents are ridiculous. It's got to be somebody's fault. And when there is no obvious culprit, as I said, you know, well, look, there's a a man doing something, a man in a dress talking to my kids. That's wrong. Or those people over there look different. That's wrong. And they lash out without even understanding what's going on, without even knowing anything about, you know, what, what they, quote unquote, are actually doing, because it's easier than having to accept responsibility for your own life and having to do the work and fix things for yourself. It's easier just to blame somebody else. And, and this is something that has happened throughout human history. You know, uh, I just thought that, you know, I, would, I hoped that North American culture had gotten past picking on queer people, but apparently, you know, we're too easy a target to let go of and they're back, you know, coming after us. Uh, it's not like, I mean, Wanda Sykes, the comedian, who I adore. Mm. She, she, there's a meme going around saying that until, until a drag queen beats nine school kids to death with a copy of um, the grapes of wrath. I think y'all are focusing on the wrong shit. Mm. You know, people, again, it's scapegoating. It's easier to blame someone else than to deal with social problems yourself and accept that maybe you might be part of the social problem. Mm. Well said, well said. You're also a photographer. Yes, yes. What type of photography? Well, uh, I actually started out doing uh, fashion photography, and uh, I had a lot of fun with that. And then I discovered that uh, I could combine my love of fetish, my love of kink, uh with photography and I started doing sort of niche photography where it's mostly uh, sex workers uh, like for their websites or for their own promotion or doing artistic sort of sexually charged photography with uh, fetish wear or with uh, implied nudity, whatnot. Like I don't, I don't want to take pictures of people with hard ons. I mean, everybody does that. I would rather make a really beautiful photo of someone whose uh, genitalia is artfully, you know, either hidden or displayed. But I, one of my favorite things has always been if I, if I see someone on the street and I think they're beautiful, 
and I'll say, hey, look, I'm a photographer. Here's my card. I'd like to photograph you. And they say, well, I, I don't think I'm pretty enough or I don't think I'm, I'm good looking enough. And I said, well, I think you are and I would love to show you. And I never, I never post a photo unless I get permission from the model. But it, it used to bring me so much joy to get someone who didn't believe that they were model material, take some photos of them and show them and, and watch their eyes widen when they see, oh, maybe I am better looking than I thought. You know, um, that always made me feel good. And, and whether I made any money from the photo shoot or not wasn't really important. Uh, I mean, I did do paid gigs and, and I still do from time to time. But for the most part, um, okay, I have this philosophy that anyone can point a camera at something beautiful and take a nice picture. But it takes a certain eye and a certain gift or talent or whatever you want to call it to look at something that most people would think is ordinary and find the beauty in it. And that's what I love more than anything is finding the beauty in things that sometimes people don't even, don't even notice, you know? Um, I don't know. It's my father. Um, if I can go off track just for a second, my father was one of the, most loving, caring, and generous human beings you could ever hope to meet. He dedicated his life uh, to being what he considered to be a, a good Christian. My father was very devoutly Catholic. And he would help people to the point where my mother would get mad at him because he, he, she'd say, you know, they're taking advantage of you. And he'd say, I know, but it's the right thing to do. And he he earned great joy by helping other people, by doing things for other people. And I always, I grew up thinking, I want to be like my dad. I want, I want to be able to do what my dad does. And when he passed, um, it was very hard for me because he was always my example. And I just hope that, you know, someday someone will look back at what I did and who I was and say, you know what, he was a good person and, and he did good things. And it's all, all of it is because of the example my father set for me. I was very, very lucky to have a man like him in my life, especially um, him being so religious that when I told him that I was gay, yeah, at first it was hard for him and he was very uh, against it. But he's realized, well, you know what? You're my son and I love you. And maybe the church has a different way of looking at you, but, you know, church be damned. You're my son and I love you. Wow. And he sort of inspired me to get involved with community work because my father did all kinds of community work. He even, he owned a, a car dealership in our town. And when he became really successful, he donated two ambulances to the local hospital, you know, and he didn't, you know, he didn't like put it in the newspaper or anything like that. He just, you know, here, you know, here's my contribution to the community. And he was involved with organizations for fundraising and for all that sort of thing. And at his funeral, the, the priest said, 
if there is a heaven, your father will be holding the door open for people to come in. You know, and and it's like I don't see how anyone could grow up with an example like that and not want to follow it. I mean, I don't I don't think I mean, I just do small things here and there. And, and you know, I do my community stuff and uh, I try not to take too much credit for it because, you know, it, it's, it's I'm not doing it for the credit. I'm doing it because I believe it's the right thing to do. But. You know. It was just in me from my father that I thought that I'm in a position to help people. So I should, I'm in a position to make things a little bit better for some people. So I should, but then again, you know, I've done it for 20 years. I think I've done enough. So, you know, anyway, sorry for going on. It's just that you know, I'm still kind of mourning the loss of my dad. Well said, well said. So 2008, you started the Black Eagle Kettle Club. Yes. Some 15 years on, you're you're choosing to to step away in 2023. Mm-hmm. So here's my last question for you. What's next? What's next? Well, um, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, especially after what I just said, but um, my father's estate left me with enough money that I'm not worried about my retirement anymore. Hmm. So I'm going to go to Tahiti. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've always wanted to go to the South Pacific. And I that's that's my thing now. That's one of my bucket list things. I'm going to start checking off bucket list things. Mm-hmm. And I have, uh, I'm, I'm married to Jeremy Feist, who is fairly well known in the community. Uh, he's a wonderful husband and partner. And we are going to be able to do more things together and not worry about scheduling because oh, wait, I can't do it on that weekend I have an event. I can't do it on that week I have an event. So I'm at least initially, I'm going to take some time for me and for Jeremy, and we're going to go do fun things. And then, I don't know. Um, I have a background in uh, kink education, and Jeremy Jeremy is going to continue the kink 101 at the Eagle, and I'm going to help him once in a while, you know, whenever he feels like he needs me to help him. But uh, there are other people in this community who are also quite giving and we're talking about restarting the um the 101 kink education program that uh the AIDS committee of toronto used to used to support and i also ran a, a program back in the day called so you want to be kinky which was basically uh an introduction to the basics of kink for people who had zero experience I used to call it Kinkergarten. And uh, to teach people, you know, okay, this is how you find someone safe to play with. This is how you ensure your own safety. This is how you say no when you're feeling unsafe. This is how you do this safely. This is how you do that safely. And trying to possibly, you know, maybe get a space at the 519 or somewhere and just doing, you know, maybe monthly or quarterly classrooms. You know, because there is a wealth of uh, experience and education in this community. And one of the founding principles of the leather community was that once you had learned and gained mastery of a skill, it was your responsibility to pass it on to the next generation. And 
with sort of the decline of the of that sense of community that hasn't really continued, at least not enough to my liking. So I imagine in the future that that'll be part of it because I mean, me standing in front of a classroom and talking for an hour and then showing people for an hour, uh, it's a lot less draining than trying to control, you know, 80 pups and, you know, and people who are trying to get in and see what's going on and having to organize, you know, all that other thing. And I'll have, as I said, I mean, there are a number of very skilled and knowledgeable players, you know, people who are experienced in kink and kink play. There, There's a multitude of them in Toronto. And a lot of them would be more than happy to share what they know. And I think that it's important because uh, what a lot of people, what a lot of people do now in the name of kink, they've watched in porn or, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. on Twitter and stuff like that. And they don't understand a, uh, the nuances because you can't ask a video questions. And also they don't understand that porn is not reality that you know for example you can't just walk up to someone put them on all fours then it then go elbow deep in their butt i mean there was like probably a couple of hours of preparation before you got to that point but for the sake of the video they never show it or um they'll show someone being flogged or whipped or that sort of thing and they don't talk about well okay here is how you do this safely and this is what you absolutely cannot do and these are things you should never try and blah 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 um so I think there needs to be if if kink is going to continue safely, and if it's going and if the community is going to grow, uh, someone has to show people the basics and get them started and get them started in a good direction. So you know, I think that's I think that's probably down the road at mm-hmm. some point. But right now, I want to focus on me because I've been spending so much time focusing on everybody else. Well, Argo, I have to say thank you so much for your time. Well said, well done. Thank you for for your contribution to the LGBT community, the kink community. Well done, and thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you for yours for providing a voice for us. Um, I'm 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 actually honored that you wanted me to come back and talk to you again. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, and I'm I'm happy to share. You know, and like I said, you know, get me talking. thanks again for your time all right thank you if you would like to find out more about the pup romp or the bad dog events simply visit blackeagletoronto.com and for even more on black eagle kennel club check out the website kennelclub.ca and Club is spelt with a K. Kennelclub.ca Bill 7. To ban discrimination in employment, government services, and housing based on a person's sexual orientation was up for a vote at Queen's Park. Most NDP and Liberal MPPs supported the bill, but without some progressive conservative legislators backing, a divisive split could rack the province. Four PCs decided to break party ranks to vote with their conscience and support Bill 7. Cabinet Minister and MPP Dennis Timbrell did it to show solidarity for his beloved brother, the well-known drag queen Rusty Ryan. And for me, 
a gay politician who was not yet out, I had to take a stand. We were known as the Gang of Four. I'm former Cabinet Minister and MPP Phil Gillies. The date, December 2nd, 1986, when LGBT rights came to Ontario. And just like that, this little gay journey through Rainbow Country has come to an end. For the full two-hour episode, simply head over to marktara.com, where everything is connected, and hit the archives banner. To keep up to date with the show, check out the socials at marktara. The podcast is available on all major platforms. And finally, I want to take this time to thank you for taking your time to be with me. Remember, we are living in days of making dreams come true. So believe in yourself and the world will believe in you. My name is Charles Officer and I'm the writer and director of Invisible Essence, The Little Prince. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. Mm.